Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having another good week out there. Weather's cooling down a little bit, but I'm sure it'll start warming back up again before we're all done with summer. I kind of like the warm weather. Uh, Fires have kind of died down out here in Oregon, it seems like. There's still some fires going, but it seems like they're starting to get some of them under control. I haven't seen a whole lot of reports on that bootleg fire down in southeastern Oregon, but uh, hopefully things are going better out there. I know the firefighters are getting pretty worn out and uh, hopefully they're all staying safe. Uh, take a look at the news a little bit. I see Jeff Bezos almost made it into outer space. A lot of people said that he made it to space, but I, um, I also heard somebody was saying that they just made it like right to the edge of outer space, but didn't all make it all the way out there. Um, saw that the Democrats are now trying to tax space flight. And it seems like the government have got has got their hands in the thick of things with Jeff Bezos and uh, Branson or whatever, trying to uh, regulate all this stuff. And I think some regulations are good, but I think the government should probably stay out of it a little bit personally. I mean, they've screwed up things here on Earth enough. They don't need to screw it up out in outer space as well. Um, also saw the report, or did you guys see the thing on the news where Biden says, uh, Facebook is killing people and now he's starting to back off of that a little bit. And it's kind of strange how the tables can turn so quickly. I mean, Facebook basically got old sleepy Joe elected and then he comes out with that, uh, statement in one of his news reports. So yeah, kind of forgets his friends or something once he, uh, gets into office and then this wasn't really in the news but if you remember a few months ago when elon musk tweeted out about doge and the prices went skyrocketing it seemed like pretty much everybody on my facebook feed was automatically a uh, stock expert telling and everybody was talking about how they were going to retire by the end of the month or something and uh i don't see as many messages out there about it now that doge is back down to like 10 cents or something or whatever it should be but Hopefully, um, Elon Musk will tweet again and take it back up so it gives me some more stuff to go on here and rant about. Anyhow, we're going to go ahead and get into this uh, week's topic. I might be a little bit um, mixed up. I thought that I had all the research done um, on this one. And when I went back, started going back through my notes, I realized I didn't have all the research done. So I kind of made a hasty quick research thing there here at the end of it but let's go ahead and dig into it we're going to talk about budapest and more basically the uh hungarian revolution that took place um in the 50s so like i said it reverse refers to the uprising against the hungarian people's republic and their soviet imposed policies so a little background on this during world war ii hungary they kind of hung with the bad guys they were part they helped out the uh, Axis powers, and they were aligned with the Nazis, um, Italy, Romania, and Bulgaria, and then they'd also invaded Yugoslavia and attacked the Soviet Union, but the Soviets, they held them off and uh, were able to withstand that attack, and the Soviets, they were advancing on Hungary, so Hungary started armistice, armistice agreement talks with the Allied powers, which is kind of funny. They weren't so tough hanging with the Axis powers when uh, they were doing good, but when the chips started to fall, <clears throat> they wanted to start t- 
talking about some agreement so they wouldn't look as bad. But anyhow, the Nazis ended up coming in and taking control of the country, and which that kind of sounds like some backstabbers to me. The Nazis kind of did the same thing to uh, the Soviets, or, well, Russia in World War uh, One, I believe it was. But they set up the government of national unity there, and then the Soviets, they made a final push and defeated the Hungarian and German armies. So now Hungary ended up coming under the uh, reign of the Soviet Union. So in 1945, they held some elections there, and a guy by the name of Zoltan Tildy won. But the Hungarian Communist Party was subversively taking away the government's influence on the people. And so they first kind of took o they took over the state police, and they'd use communist tactics like intimidation and whatnot to get rid of any political opposition. We've seen that over and over again as we've talked about different communists on, uh, on this podcast. But up until this time, they'd been a multi-party democracy, but the Communist Party, they merged the Social Democratic Party to create the Hungarian Working People's Party. And their candidate went unopposed in 1949, and the People's Republic of Hungary was created. So they wanted to push forward socialism based on the Soviet model, but this immediately, it came under some pretty sharp criticism. And then a student demonstration on October 23rd of 1955, that kind of started to set the wheels in motion for a revolution. And uh, that's another thing that we've kind of covered quite a bit on this. Uh, it seems like the students in different countries, they must have a lot more power or something because it seems like it's always the students that get things uh, or the college students that get things started it seems like but so once the communists took over they immediately started doing what we've seen time and time again like i said they started purging any opposition uh this encountered for about half of the middle and lower parties officials and then they started taking over people's property for housing for the people or for the working people's party members as well as well as trying to remove the intellectuals so people that were opposed to them, they would basically take over their property and then put the people that were supporting their party, just move them into those houses and whatnot. And then, uh, like I said, they were removing uh, the intellectuals out of the cities and putting them in uh, prison camps and that type of thing. Um, or they would just deport them directly out of the country. And they were also... Uh, the farms that they were sent to, the living conditions were so bad that a lot of them actually just ended up dying there. And, you know, we've seen that. All these stories, it's funny how history ends up repeating itself. But once they came in and got power, they immediately imposed Russian language training and communist political in instruction in the schools and in the colleges. And economically, they were ruined as well because they had to pay war reparations to the Soviets, the Czechs, and the Yugoslavians. And since they were part of the Soviets' uh, Comcon or Comicon or whatever it was called, uh, which was the Council of Mutual Economic Assistance, they're not allowed to trade with the West or get anything from the Marshall Plan, which the U.S. had sent out trying to help rebuild countries after World War II. But... Yeah, since these guys were basically under Soviet rule, they weren't allowed to uh, get any of those um, benefits or anything out of that. So this new leader, a guy named Rakosi, he introduced his five-year plan, just kind of like Stalin did. And just like Stalin, it also failed. Although the national income rose, the standard of living ended up uh, falling for the people. 
And the people's income, it was basically going to pay for all sorts of different government programs, and the national debt continued to rise. So, you know, that's kind of the thing with socialism. As the state starts offering more and more things, somebody's got to pay for that on the back end, and it usually ends up being the people. And so the, you know, rate uh, wages and that type of thing goes up, but the standard of living continues to fall because you're getting taxed more and helping to pay for all these government programs for the people that aren't working. And so there were also international events that were helping to create the fire for the evolution. And then um, Rokosi, he ended up resigning in 1956, right before this revolution uh, took place. And with his resignation and everything that was going on in the world, it emboldened the students and the media to speak out against the government and to become more active in politics in the country. So on October 23rd, about 20,000 protesters may, met at the statue of Joseph Byrne, who he was a, natu- a national hero for uh, Hungary and Poland. So they had a statue uh, rose for him or created for him. But the president of the Writers Union read a manifesto to the crowd, which he claimed, or which it claimed, Hungary's independence from all foreign powers and a political system based on democratic socialism. Uh, they also wanted to join the United Nations and all the freedom uh, rights for the citizens of Hungary. So, kind of like in other communist countries, again, they were seeing the freedoms that people were experiencing all over the world, and they wanted to get a piece of that pie too. So this fired up the crowd, and so they crossed the Danube to meet up with more protesters, and now the uh, number of protesters it was well over 200,000 people. And it started peacefully at the beginning, but by 10 p.m., the first secretary of the ruling party gave a speech condemning the writers and students' demands, and this was a bad idea because by 11.30, the crowd had demolished a statue of Stalin and placed Hungarian flags in the boots, which... It was all that was left of that statue. At the same time, there was a group outside a radio station that wanted to broadcast their demands that this guy had uh, given out. But the radio station was guarded by police, and they ended up throwing tear gas and open fire on the crowd. And this was bad idea number two, because the crowd then they grew very violent and started setting ablaze police cars and seizing guns from the military. So it was kind of like a Saturday afternoon in Portland. But by 2 a.m., the secretary of the ruling party requested Soviet military intervention. So a guy by the name of Georgi Zhukov, uh, he entered Budapest with tanks. And they stationed the tanks outside the parliament and were protecting other key bridges and crossroads that the military would need to be able to get access into there. But it didn't take long before the revolutionaries had already captured some of the tanks and took them over for themselves. So that day, a guy by the name of Imre Nagy, he replaced Andras Hegudas as prime minister, and he called for an end of the violence and promised to initiate political reforms, but it seemed that this was a little too late. The crowds were already up in arms and shots were being fired and whatnot. So protesters, they did end up seizing the radio station and they also began attacking the police. And then on October 25th, they ended up forming a protest outside the parliament building and the AVH, which was the name of the police force over there, they opened fire on them again from rooftops and from nearby buildings. They didn't, um, they're kind of sniping them from a ways away. 
Some of the Soviet troops that were in the crowd, though, they actually fired back at them because they thought they were the targets of the shootings. They thought that it was some of the protesters that were uh, trying to shoot them. So the Soviet troops ended up basically firing back at the people that they were supporting. And the Hungarian army, they were divided and kind of stayed out of the way of all of this. Uh, it doesn't seem like they were too sure which side to end up supporting. So they were just kind of hanging back and seeing what happened. There were a couple of small skirmishes uh, that they got involved in, but it really didn't amount to a whole lot. But the attack on the parliament, it forced the government to crumble. And that secretary guy that we had talked about and the old prime minister, they end up fleeing to the Soviet Union for safety to just try to get out of there because they knew that uh, their names were kind of on the top of the list, it seems. But meanwhile, the protesters, they attacked the Central Committee of the Communist Party, uh, and they once they got in, they executed dozens of people inside, and the Communist factions tried to mount a defense, but they were quelled rather quickly. Then finally, on, cease, uh, on October 28th, the ceasefire was declared, and by October 30th, uh, most of the troops had ended up moving out, and this would work well for a few days. But basically, what it came down to is Hungary, one of their things was they wanted to become a neutral state. They didn't want to be lumped in with all the communists. Um, but as the parliament kind of crumbled, there were tons of revolutionary councils that were made up across the country. Uh, political parties that were previously banned, they started to appear again. And we're just talking in a matter of days, this all started happening. And many of the demonstrators, they end up damaging or destroying any of the symbols of Soviet authority, kind of like what they did with that uh, statue of Stalin. But countries around the world uh, started showing support for the Hungarians. The Polish or Poland, they immediately responded and sent support to uh, the Hungarian people and tried sending aid to them. The UN, they stated they wanted to respond, um, but they came out with a statement that said, we couldn't on one hand complain about the Soviets intervening in Hungary and on the other hand, approve of the British and French picking that particular time to intervene against uh, Nasser when he was creating that conglomerate down there in uh, Africa. And it, it would be kind of, uh, of a hypocrisy to condemn the Soviets for what they were doing, but then on the other hand, support the British and the French for basically doing the same thing. So the U.S. response of all this was to send in covert CIA agents to help Basically, what they were doing was they were basic, and they've done this in other countries as well. They're basically sending in the CIA agents to get who we wanted in power uh, in those countries. And it's happened uh, in other countries as well. I think it happened in uh, Venezuela or somewhere down there. But uh, the CIA agents' plan kind of got uh, thwarted places where they thought there were um, caches of ammunition and things like that ended up not being there, or ammunition and weapons, I guess. But then on November 4th, uh, the Soviets, they came in again in what they called Operation Whirlwind. And the Soviets, they had uh, built their army up to 17 divisions, uh, kind of secretly, uh, planning for this second attack, basically. And they drove their tanks into Budapest from the north and the south, so they had the city divided at that point. And then they also had um, backup support, and they had the the all the bridges and things like that were under Soviet control. 
And then they also, as well as sending their tanks in, they sent in uh, air attacks and bombarded them with artillery attacks as well. And the Hungary, Hungarians, they ended up putting up a strong resistance from about November 4th to about the 9th. But by the 8th, most of uh, Budapest was, all, was back under Soviet control. And so their resistance wasn't going to last too awful long. And in, in the immediate aftermath of all of this, uh, many thousands of Hungarians ended up being arrested. Eventually, 26,000 of them were brought before the Hungarian courts. 22,000 of them were sentenced and imprisoned. Uh, 13,000 were interned, which I'm not exactly sure what that means. And 229 were executed. And approximately 200,000 fled Hunga Hungary as refugees. And um, there were a lot of countries that were offering support, the United States being one of them, I believe, that were offering support for any of these refugees that wanted to uh, get out of the country. So the new government that came in, uh, the Soviets, I think they kind of tried to tone it down a little bit. They attempted to enlist support by uh, allowing a lot of the popular principles of the Hungarian um, that they had voiced during the uprising. Obviously, they wouldn't allow all of them, but they were trying to get in good with the people a little bit and letting them have some of their demands met. But Soviet troops still remained there to make sure that they quelled any violence that came up. And after 1956, the Soviet Union, they in, ended up basically purging the Hungarian army. And they, the guys that stuck around or the, uh, the people that they kept, they basically reinstituted, reinstituted political indoctrination in the units that remained. So they were trying to put the communist indoctrination into uh, the armies that were still there. But after this was all said and done, it was kind of a blow to the communist party around the world. Uh, many members would end up leaving after the events in Hungary. Uh, the French communist party, I think they said they lost about half of the members that were in there. And there was another one in, uh, I think it was in Italy, where they ended up losing a lot of the Communist Party members as well. The the whole events, it didn't sit well, um, obviously, with the Hungarians, and it didn't sit well with the international community either. But finally, in 1989, Hungary was able to declare as its own republic after the breakup of the Soviet Union once uh, it turned back to where, you know, all the Lithuania and all those places kind of declared their independence from the Soviet Union, and Hungary was able to as well. And that's pretty much all I had about this one. There's quite a few other things that kind of happened in there, but a lot of it seemed to be um, a lot of political jargon and things like that, which I don't really get into a whole lot. So uh, I kind of skimmed over some of that. But yeah, that's uh, about all I have on that. hope you guys enjoyed it. And hope you go out there and follow me on Podcast from P-Town on Facebook or P-Town Podcast on Instagram. Or send me an email at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot.